the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. There are many believers today who are fully surrendered to Christ's Lordship, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet they still struggle with fear in speaking up about their Savior. And a major factor that contributed to the boldness of these early Christians was that their boldness was based on sound teaching. Their minds had been transformed by the teaching of Jesus Christ. Their thinking had been transformed by sound doctrine. Combine that with the filling of the Holy Spirit, and it's powerful. A powerful combination indeed. We will see some biblical examples of that today as we continue to consider the fearless proclamation of the gospel right here on Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will continue to lead us through Matthew chapter 10. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is an outgrowth of Pastor Steve's teaching ministry. While our main text continues to be Matthew chapter 10, if you're going to see examples of courageous witnessing, we need to turn to the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 2. Just how bold were the apostles? I would have to say that their courage was just amazing. Here is Pastor Steve to describe it and to explain not only how bold they were, but more importantly, why they were so bold. Proverbs 29:25 says this, the fear of man brings a snare, meaning that when we fear people, when we fear what people think about us or say to us or do to us, we fall into the trap of having them control us. In other words, the fear of man enslaves us so that we are not free to say or do as we'd like to. We let others dictate to us what we say, what we do. And this very fear of man has so stifled many Christians from boldly speaking out about their faith in Christ because they fear what others say, what others might do to them, what others might think about them. And yet as one reads through the New Testament, we are presented with a number of examples, especially in the book of Acts, of believers who fearlessly proclaimed Christ without being overwhelmed by the fear of man. There was no concern for their safety, no concern for their, uh, for their lives that would cause them to back down or be intimidated to not speak out boldly. For example, we read in the early chapters of the book of Acts about Peter. Peter, who was addressing the same Jewish crowd that just a few weeks prior to this had cried for Jesus to be crucified. And yet, listen to Peter's boldness in Acts chapter 2. If you want to follow, you can look. Peter actually gave two sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3. They were both to the crowd at Jerusalem, the Jewish people, 
who, as I said before, had cried out just a few weeks prior to this for Christ to be crucified, and yet listen to the courage of Peter in boldly proclaiming Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. After presenting his, his case, getting into his sermon, Peter says this. Now listen to this boldness. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, listen to this boldness, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. Peter is, is telling them, you're responsible. You blew it. The Messiah was here and you crucified him. He, he just demonstrates the same boldness in Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Well, actually, there's a sermon that goes before this. Peter and John had gone to the temple. There was a lame man who asked to be uh, asked for money. And Peter said, we don't have any gold. We don't have any silver. But what we do have, we'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Arise and walk. This man was healed. It generated uh, people gathering around, wondering what was going on concerning this miracle. Peter took the opportunity to give a sermon. In verse 13 of chapter 3 says this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him, but you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Folks, this is boldness. This is fearless proclamation. He, Peter demonstrates the same thing just a little bit later in Acts chapter 4. Now he uh, is standing before the Jewish authorities, the same ones who uh, had Jesus arrested just a few weeks prior to this, but he continues this fearless proclamation. Notice chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to you, to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, now notice this, notice what he is saying to the religious leaders of Israel. He, meaning Christ, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders. You're the leaders of Israel. You should have recognized him. You rejected the very foundation and cornerstone. He said, He's the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief corner stone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Folks, this is boldness. He stood eye to eye with the religious leaders and said, you crucified the righteous one. You rejected the cornerstone of the whole foundation of the faith. But it wasn't only Peter who was bold in his proclamation. There's a man named Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen will become the first martyr. He will die for what he has to say, but uh, and he knew that possibility was there, but he didn't back down. Stephen was one of the first servant leaders in the church at Jerusalem. He spoke with incredible boldness to those who falsely accused him of speaking out against God's law, the Mosaic law. And so after presenting his case for Christ by giving them really a, a survey of Old Testament history, Notice what Stephen courageously says in confronting his accusers. Chapter 7, verse 51. 
you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. In other words, you accuse me of not keeping the law, speaking out against the law. You don't even keep it. You've never kept it and you murdered the Holy One and your ancestors before you murdered those who predicted the Holy One would come. So you have Peter who's bold. You have Stephen who's bold. You have the Apostle Paul who's incredibly bold. And two uh, instances in Acts chapter 20 and then 21, the Apostle Paul, when faced with the prospect that he might die for his faith, refused to back down from speaking out about the Lord. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 22. We read this. Luke tells us in the book of Acts, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, Paul said, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, he said, I don't know all the details, but I know this, that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So Paul said, I don't know what's going to happen exactly in Jerusalem, not at this point, but I know that that I'm going to be afflicted. I know I'm going to be persecuted. But what's his response? Verse 24, what a marvelous statement. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel, the grace of God. Paul said, I don't count my life so dear that I'm going to get out of the race. I'm going to finish the race, even if it means dying. Same thing comes up one chapter later, chapter 21, starting at verse 10. Context is Paul is now in Caesarea and a prophet comes down and makes an inspired prediction. Verse 10, as we were staying there, meaning Caesarea, For some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So he's saying, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. The Jewish people there, the Jewish leaders are going to attack you. They're going to eventually turn you over to the Gentiles. Now, Luke says, when we heard this, We, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. So think about that. You have the disciples, you have have Paul's friends, disciples of Christ around the Apostle Paul pleading with him. You have local residents who were believers pleading with Paul, don't go up to Jerusalem. What's Paul's answer? Verse 13, Paul answered this, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since Luke says he would not be persuaded, we fell silent and we remarked this, the will of the Lord be done. Now, what was it that made these men so bold? Peter, Stephen, Paul, others who were not named in the book of Acts, but were equally as bold. What was it? Why were they not stifled in their witness for Christ out of fear and out of anxiety for their safety? Well, certainly we'd have to say that the empowering and the filling of the Holy Spirit was a major cause for their boldness. They were controlled by him. They were empowered by him. But it it went beyond that. It had to go beyond that because there are many believers today who are fully surrendered to Christ's lordship, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet they still struggle with fear in speaking up 
about their Savior. I want to suggest to you that a major factor, and one that is often overlooked, that contributed to the boldness of these early Christians was that their boldness was based on sound teaching. Their minds had been transformed by the teaching of Jesus Christ. Their thinking had been transformed by sound doctrine. In other words, they feared no man because they had been taught by Jesus not to fear anyone. And you combine that with the filling of the Holy Spirit, and it's powerful. But it was the truth that had set them free. And the primary passage of Scripture where Jesus addressed the truth about not fearing man is Matthew chapter 10. While you turn to Matthew chapter 10, let me take a moment to welcome you if you have just tuned in. We're glad to have you with us today on Verse by Verse. It's a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. As I think I have mentioned before, there are countless times in the Bible where God told people to not be afraid. That generally happened when he had an assignment for them. Did you know God has an assignment for you and for me? Our assignment, as we're about to see, is clearly spelled out in today's text. And this time God didn't just say, don't be afraid. He told us how to overcome our natural fear. Now, here is Pastor Steve. So let's turn there. And this is what we've been studying for several weeks now as we've been working our way through this uh, very uh, pivotal chapter in the Gospel of, of Matthew. We've come to a passage of Scripture in which Jesus tells us that there are specific reasons that we need to understand why we don't need to fear those who persecute us. And I want to read this to you. This is the passage that we started last week and we continue this week. Verse 24. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the rooftops or the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Now, as we noted as we've noted before, three times in this very brief passage, Jesus tells us not to fear. Said it in verse 26, said it in verse 28, says it in verse 31. And the specific fear, as, we, as we've already dealt with, the specific fear that he's referring to was the fear of those who, who hate us because of Christ, who oppose us, who persecute us, who could do harm to us, who speak out against us. And he earlier referred to these people as dangerous wolves. In verse 16, I thrust you out as sheep amongst these dangerous wolves. And he went on to identify the various wolves that he was talking about. They'll come in the form of religious people who will uh, whip and flog believers in the synagogues. They'll come in the form of intimidating secular government officials who have the power and authority to take our lives They'll even come in the form, he says, of family members who will turn against those of their own flesh and blood by turning them over to the government who will then execute them. And in addition to these dangerous wolves, Jesus said to beware of all people. All men, he said, will hate you from all walks of life. 
people you work with, people who are in your family, people who are relatives, people who, who said they were once your friends, neighbors, all walks of life. And even though there's so much hatred, Jesus said, and there will be so much hatred, so much opposition to the gospel, we are never to retreat, never to be silenced because of fear. He said that in verse 23. Whenever they persecute you in one city, just flee to the next. In other words, just keep on speaking. Don't back down. Rather, move around when it gets too rough. And it will get rough. And every believer at one point or another is going to be persecuted. Now, how do we know that? It's, it's inevitable. It's unavoidable. Because in verses 24 and 25, Jesus said that as his disciples and servants, we will become like him. The Bible calls that progressive sanctification. You may not see it in your lives, but you are, if you're a true believer, you are growing. And it means you're growing in Christ-likeness. You are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in your character. The paradox is that the closer we get to the Lord, we have a hard time seeing that. The closer we get to the Lord, the more we see our sin. So we don't always know that we're growing. But the Bible says that we are growing and this will continue until ultimately we will be perfectly sanctified in his presence. But Jesus said in verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. And he went on to say, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. So we are becoming like Jesus. And that's why the world hates us, because they hated him and they mistreated him and they'll mistreat us because we're, we're like him in the sense that we reflect his character. But our treatment, Jesus said, is even going to be worse. They're going to treat us worse because he said, and the slave like his master, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, you're demonic, they said to Jesus. You're the Lord of the flies. You're the Lord of the dung heap where the flies just go around. You are, you are Satan. Jesus said, if they treated me that way, the head of the house, and I'm superior to you, then how much more will they malign the members of my household? In other words, if those who hated Christ were so disrespectful of him, as to accuse him, our superior, of being demonic, and certainly we who are beneath him. We're just disciples. We're just his slaves. We can expect to be treated with even more disrespect, even more disdain. That's the point. So it is unavoidable. Persecution will come to us in many different forms. So after painting such a bleak picture, and this is a bleak picture, it's a pretty rough picture of the kind of mistreatment that we can expect. The Lord stops at this point and he, he changes what he has to say so as to encourage us. He now shifts gears and he goes on to encourage his disciples by giving us three very tangible reasons as to why we don't need to fear those who will persecute us. It may be rough, yes. At times it may be intense, but there are some specific reasons that you and I don't need to fear what man throws at us. This, these are the same truths that liberated Peter and Stephen and Paul and all the other early church Christians from fearing their persecutors. And folks, these are the very truths that can and should liberate you as well. They'll tra if you'll allow them, they will transform your thinking, which will transform your behavior so that you'll no longer be afraid and intimidated to speak to family members relatives, friends, co-workers, and others about Christ. These are the truths. Now, last week, we looked at the first of these reasons, and I gave you an assignment, as you'll recall. I asked you to meditate on 
this truth so that the force of the truth would be absorbed in your life. As it's absorbed in your life, you'll, it, it will begin to have an immediate impact on your life and will help you in witnessing and evangelizing. Now, that's true of any time you sit under any teaching of the Word of God. Anytime you're in the Word, anytime you're, you're sitting uh, here at Lakeside and hearing these messages or um, in a Sunday school class, you must never just let it go in one ear and out the next. There always needs to be reflection and meditation on the truth. Otherwise, it will never become yours. It'll never change your life. It'll, it'll never impact the way you live. You must think about this. You must apply it to your life or, or else you've really wasted much of your, your time and even sitting listening to a message from Scripture. So the first reason that Jesus gave for proclaiming him without any fear is this. The truth will eventually be revealed. Now, we saw this last week. I don't need to go through all of it again, but I remind you. Verses 26 and 27. Jesus said, therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. The main thought that our Lord is, is saying here is that the reason we don't need to be afraid of those who would slander us and falsely accuse us is that eventually God is going to reveal the truth, the whole truth about them, about us, that they were not nice people who did a, a good thing for society by persecuting believers. They had an agenda, and that's all going to be revealed. They hated God. They were hostile towards Christ. And that'll be revealed. It'll also be revealed, and this is all when Christ comes back at Christ's return. He'll bring to light what's been hidden for years, who we are. That we were not demonic. We were not evil people who messed up society. The Lord will reveal that those who were persecuted were his beloved children, his dear children, the ones he died for. And that's what Jesus is saying. Whatever's been hidden now, will be revealed. In the future, everyone will know the truth about you. And the reason that this public knowledge of previously concealed truth frees us from fearing man is because it assures us that in the end, God will vindicate us. Your reputations may be spoiled now, but eventually God will clear your good name. And we only have a good name because of Christ, nothing in and of ourselves. Our reputations, just it's just temporarily damaged. But God will eventually clear up the reputation so that everyone will know who you really are a redeemed believer in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus tells us in the next verse to just boldly proclaim everything he's whispered in the apostles' ears that they've written down, which is called the New Testament. And then go shout it from the rooftops. Go proclaim it to all. In other words, in light of the fact that everything is someday going to be revealed, there's no reason to protect yourself by withholding the truth. It really doesn't matter what people think about you now because eventually they'll know the truth about you. Someday, So just shout it. Shout the truth for all to hear. So the first reason that we can fearlessly proclaim Christ is because it really doesn't matter what anybody says or thinks about us. Because in the end, God's truth will ultimately be revealed. That is just one reason we can take heart in the face of opposition to the gospel of grace. There are other reasons, but our remaining time is too short to address them today. So I hope you can join us again for the next Verse by Verse. My name is Peter Silseth, and it is my pleasure to be your announcer for these daily radio Bible classes. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, has been serving for more than 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
Verse-by-Verse Ministries adapts his clear, expository messages to radio format. We are a faith ministry, and we thank the Lord for those who support this work with their prayers and gifts. We always encourage our listeners to be sure to fulfill their commitment to their own churches before helping other organizations such as this one. If you missed the start of class, the whole broadcast is available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. This class is a series of lessons from Matthew chapter 10. You can find all the previous programs in the series on the archives page. We have many other programs in the archives as well, if you'd like to check those out. To make sure you catch all the future classes or to just have them available on your MP3 player, you can sign up for our free podcasting service. The website also offers a subscription to our complimentary newsletter. You'll find all that and more at versebyverseradio.org. Since a typical message is longer than a typical radio time slot, today's class was part of a three-part message. You can hear the entire message at once if you order a CD or cassette. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. Chances are, if you are a Christ follower and you share your faith with others, you have faced rejection, ridicule, and maybe even slander for your efforts. But in many places right now, Christians are facing far more serious resistance to their... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.